Chapter 6 Pike enrolled Jim back into their old school. Jim spent a lot of time pretending not to be pleased by this, and Spock spent a lot of time contemplating how best to convince his parents to allow him to re-enroll. He came up with several excellent plans, but was met with stonewalling at every turn. In late August, Amanda began to pack, and Spock was staging his protest by not going back to the embassy for a week. He had long since given up on any attempts to rationalize it logically. He knocked on Pike's door politely, shifting his grip on his bag. "'You're staying?' Pike asked, eyeing the bag. And Spock looked at him, and then up at Jim, who was leaning against the railing at the stair landing. "'For a week. Spock is having his teenage rebellion while he's still on Earth,' Jim said, and Pike exhaled, looking up at Jim. He seemed about to say something rational and parental, but the door burst open again and then slammed shut. Number one raised her heavy eyebrows at them, stark against the pale white in her skin. She was, Spock thought, a beautiful woman. So, what's going on? She asked casually as she turned the lock. Spock is staying for a week. Why are you here? Pike asked, and then added, And do I need to call someone? I'm reacquainting myself with your couch. It's been a long time. I fear its affection for me has waned, she says blithely, opening the whole closet and getting blankets and a spare pillow, patting the couch affectionately. What's wrong with snow? Pike asked, watching with the attitude of a man long since worn down. Nothing, I don't think, number one said, setting up on the couch. River, on the other hand, is in a bit of a strop. Oh, Pike said, as though there was nothing strange about this scene. That makes sense. Jim, you and Spock will have to share your room. Number one is going to hide from her feelings on my couch. Spock looked up at Jim, who was trying to decide if it was worth it to seem like that had not been the plan all along. Oh, damn, Jim said. Well, Spock, I guess you'll have to cope. Spock followed him into the bedroom, listening to the low tones of number one and Pike bickering at each other until Jim shut the door and turned the lock. Spock sat at the head of the bed, propping himself against the headboard. My mother is packing he said. I could kidnap you, Jim suggested, throwing himself onto the bed. Spock sighed. My parents would exact the full force of the law against you and petition for the highest sentence possible, which, given that I am not a citizen on this planet with residency, would be interplanetary kidnapping. It carries a sentence of at least fifty years, he said. Cybok would also likely compel some of his patients to testify. It would all be very dubious, but the end result would be you behind bars until you die, and me stuck on Delta Vega, possibly in a tower without doors. And you know how Vulcans, as a species, are not built for colder climates. Jim inhaled as though he was about to say something, then paused and looked at Spock incredulously. Did you just compare yourself to Rapunzel and then call yourself delicate? He demanded. It would be ghastly to grow one's hair out that long, Spock mused, and Jim dissolved into laughter, which had been Spock's goal. He did not fully understand humor, though he was better at it than most Vulcans. He understood Jim well enough, though, and that seemed to make up for whatever ignorance he still possessed on the subject. I'd visit, Jim promised. You would be in jail, Spock reminded him, without my funds at your disposal. That was a lie, actually. Spock had set up a trust when it had become clear to him that his parents were never going to support their friendship. It was run by an investment firm on Besotha, and was apparently growing steadily, and Jim would be able to use it until Spock said otherwise. Of course, the people managing it thought that Jim was Spock's husband, but it was a necessary deception. Yeah, that would suck, Jim admitted. I could probably get out, though. Spock looked at him and stayed silent, 
because it was likely true, but Jim did not need the encouragement. Ha! You even think so, Jim crowed, and Spock kicked him idly. He wondered if he could encourage Captain Pike to begin recruiting Jim heavily into Starfleet. Even if Jim decided to go into engineering, he would be kept busy and have legal hobbies. I'd break you out too, Jim said abruptly, leveraging himself up onto his elbows so he could look at Spock and grin with all his teeth. On the last day of the week, Spock woke up to Pike calling them down to breakfast. Jim, Jim, wake up, he said, sitting up and shaking Jim's shoulder. Fuck all the things, Jim snarled from the tangle of blankets he had trapped himself in. Spock looked down at him and thought that if ever he had been tempted to roll his eyes, this would be the time to see if he was physically capable of the act. It is likely delicious, Spock said, getting dressed and standing at the foot of the bed. Fuck all the things, Jim repeated. Spock grabbed the blankets and wrenched them away, and Jim kicked out at him. Spock wrapped his hands around Jim's ankles, pinning them to the bed until Jim sat up, glaring blearily. I hate you, Jim muttered. Lying this early in the morning is gauche, Spock told him. Get dressed. I will go downstairs. He released Jim's ankles. There were white marks in the shape of his hand pressed into Jim's skin, and he watched the blood flow back into place and erase the evidence of his grip. Jim swung himself off the bed and stalked into the bathroom, swearing foully under his breath the entire way. Do not forget to brush your teeth, Spock called after him as the door slammed shut. Suck on it, Jim snapped, and Spock left the room, carefully locking it behind him, with a sense of peace and general well-being. He liked morning Jim. Jim was slower and meaner in the morning, and Spock found the combination highly entertaining. Pike smiled at him when he came into the kitchen. Pancakes for you, side of bacon for us, he said. I'm going to take Jim shopping later. You could come if you want. I would like that, Spock agrees, and they both look towards the stairs at the crash from Jim's room. He always liked this in the mornings? Pike asked. Some days are more trying than others, Spock said, getting up to pour coffee. Jim stomped down the stairs, and from the couch, number one mumbled something in a leery. Spock handed Jim the coffee, and Pike slid the plate over, careful not to brush against Jim in any way. It was strange to see humans interact like this. Even Spock's family had always been, if not affectionate, then at ease in each other's presence. He had always been welcome in his parents' spaces, and they had never paused at the threshold of any room he was in, except perhaps for a cursory polite knock. Cybok and Amanda were tactile, and while Spock and Sarek were not, they accepted it as part of their lives, found comfort in it. There had never been any locked doors. He did not remember well enough if Sam or Winona had been tactile, though Jim was. Or rather, Jim was tactile with Spock. Jim had rigid boundaries with other people, but over the course of the summer he had learned to share Pike's space, often with Spock as a buffer. Jim was adaptable, but not always in his own best interests. He hoped that Pike would be good for Jim this year, when Spock would be unable to be there. He had hope, though. Pike was extremely adept at reading Jim's body language, a skill he imagined came from dealing with Number One, who was a veteran of her planet's war. Still, Spock was fairly certain that with Pike, Jim was experiencing a kind of culture shock. He had gone from Frank's aggressive neglect to Pike's obvious and sometimes painful investment in Jim's well-being, and Spock could hardly blame Jim for his wariness. Pike was being, well, exceptionally good with Jim, exceptionally good to Jim. Spock could hardly even care if Pike was projecting his feelings for Jim's parents onto Jim. It did not matter. 
He was invested. It was more than Spock had hoped. Jim handed Spock the empty cup. More, he demanded. Eat, Spock countered, and Jim glowered at him hatefully, but picked up the fork. He ate his eggs as aggressively as anyone could eat scrambled eggs, and Spock looked on indulgently. He really was unaccountably fond of morning Jim. After getting Jim his second cup of coffee, Pike held up his card between two fingers and said, So you probably need new tech, right? And Jim did not smile, because he seemed, as of yet, unable to give anyone but Spock his smiles when he meant them. Jim did, however, rattle off a list of things he could hardly need, but seemed to want. He was perhaps testing how much money Pike was willing to spend, how much attention he was paying, testing the limits. Spock was just reveling in the fact that Jim was asking for something rather than taking it. Yeah, Pike snorted, looking down at his pad and then back up at Jim. We'll see about all of that. I already got the list from school. The grin on Jim's face was there and gone, but Pike's face softened and he turned away towards the sink too fast, clearing his throat. The moment was broken by the doorbell ringing. Number one, get that, Pike called. It rang again. Get the door, Pike shouted at number one, who snarled something at him and fell off the couch. Spock turned from the scene back to his plate, only to find Jim trying to poach his kiwi quarter. Spock stabbed Jim's hand with his fork. Jim looked at the fork, then at the kiwi, obviously deciding whether puncture wounds were worth it. Spock picked up the slice of fruit and shoved it into his mouth, raising his eyebrows. Pike made a sound that was obviously stifled laughter, and Jim narrowed his eyes, watching Spock chew. It's the Lady Amanda, number one announced, tugging a hand through her thick dark hair, here for her progeny. Anyway, I'm showering. Don't run the water. Pike looked very tempted to put the water on and leave it running, but instead his face smoothed into a polite smile. Amanda, good to see you. I imagine you're collecting this one? It's time to start packing, Amanda agreed, and Spock kicked Jim lightly under the table to preempt any comment, swallowing with a bit of difficulty. The method of securing the kiwi had been effective, but perhaps not his best plan, undignified. Spock, she said, and he stood. Coming, he agreed, and headed upstairs to gather his things, Jim trailing after him. She booked a shuttle for tonight, Jim said. I might have looked it up. Yes, well, no time like the present. I don't know. The future's got to be pretty awesome. Jim. Yeah? Spock put his wallet in his bag and collected his pad, sliding it on top of his clothes. We will keep in touch. You cannot think otherwise. Yeah, no, I know. Jim agreed, dismissive as he flopped onto his bed. He said, No, Jim. You are not allowed to elect not to respond to my messages or not take my calls because I am not close enough to. He said, harder than he meant to. It was that old, lingering fear he could not seem to shake, that Jim would leave him. Though Spock knew he did his own share of leaving, was the one leaving now. Okay, you know what? Fuck you. This time wasn't even my fault. Jim started and cut off when Spock kissed him, and then jerked away and was on the other side of the room, heart hammering in his chest and his fingers pressing into the smooth wood of the bedroom door. Jim sat at the head of the bed, staring at him, mouth working but no sound coming out. Whoop! Jim started, pressing his fingers to his lips, and then looking up at Spock. He looked like he might be starting on angry, but was still stuck on confused. I... I apologize, Spock said stiffly. He was not sorry, but he was apologetic. It was not a lie, and there was a distinction between those two things. He was walking a very fine line, but he was still being truthful. Still, he felt the need to qualify. It was impulsive, and I did not consider... 
Come here, Jim said. Spock went, wary. Jim was fast when he wanted to be, and Spock was not interested in getting punched in the throat, even if he did deserve it. How could he do that? Jim was still in a delicate state of mind, traumatized and highly stressed, virtually homeless. It was unfair of Spock to have done that. It made him some kind of predator, surely. He should have thought about that. He should have actually thought about it. Acting on impulse was not how he was raised. He stopped a foot away from Jim, and here Jim swung to sit on the edge of the bed, legs spread a little, and he pointed to the ground before him. Here, he clarified. Spock moved forward, and Jim put his hands on Spock's shoulders and pulled, and Spock hesitated long enough to look at Jim's slightly pursed lips, at the ferocious determination on Jim's face. He bent the last two inches and kissed him again. His nose hit hard against Jim's, and he put a hand to Jim's face to adjust their angle. It was hard not to sense what Jim was feeling, hard not to peek, but he hardly needed to, because Jim was pushy and insistent, and took miles when given an inch, and the kiss transitioned from exploratory to slick and needy rapidly. When they pulled apart, they were both breathless. Spock was half on top of Jim, and Jim had one of his legs bent up, pressing against Spock's side. They were really incredibly close. Yeah, Jim said nonsensically and mostly to himself. Spock thought. Spock kissed the curve of Jim's smile, lips pressed against teeth and lips in equal measure. Jim laughed into it and... Spock! Amanda called, and they broke apart, knocking heads in the process. Jim was flushed, his lips red and swollen, and Spock wanted to bite them, which was an unexpected impulse. Spock, come on! Amanda repeated, and she was beginning to sound impatient. How do I look? Spock asked. Spock asked Jim, turning to look in the mirror over the wardrobe. His cheeks were flushed green, and his own lips might have been. Press your lips together. Let her think the flush is you being angry. Jim said, chewing on his own lower lip. I will come back next summer, Spock said. Or perhaps Captain Pike will... You could visit. Well, failing that, there's always kidnapping, Jim mused. Spock narrowed his eyes at him, and then darted forward to steal another kiss. The estate is large, he agreed. I could hide you easily. Jim's laughter followed him down the stairs, something warm to comfort him against his mother's expression and Pike's forced politeness. Number one was standing behind Pike's right shoulder, and Spock had only known the pair of them for a summer, barely three months, but he knew that position well. This was their facing down danger pose, and he wondered if his mother even realized she was considered a threat. Thank you, he said to them both, lifting a hand. Live long and prosper. May your aim be true, number one replied, and Pike just smiled at him a little ruefully. Good luck, he said, and Amanda escorted him out the door into the waiting car. He kept replaying the kiss all the way back to the embassy. He had not even been consciously aware of the desire to kiss Jim until he was already doing it. How was it possible that he not know himself? Had it been, perhaps, a simple manifestation of his reluctance at their separation? He closed the door to his bedroom and leaned against it. His pad dinged. Don't freak out. I am not freaking out. It's like a promise. Sprock stared at that for a long time. A promise that... That what? They would pick this up when they next saw each other? Were they together now? Did that mean Jim would not date for an entire year? He exhaled slowly. He needed to regain control of himself. He was starting to feel alarmingly emotional. He began to pack, finding the monotonous action its own form of meditation. Or not, if you don't wanna. Spock, you dick, throw me a fucking bone. Dick, 
Bone. Spock sighed and typed carefully. Perhaps we should reevaluate when we next see each other. I would not want this to affect our friendship, and this is an unfair time to start anything. Fine, but if I jerk off to you, you can't even blame me. You need not feel compelled to tell me. So you'll always be wondering, hmm? There are days I cannot remember why we are friends. Liar. Yes. Don't be guilty either. I was going to kiss you too. Spock stared at that message, and then another came through. You're just braver than me. Liar. Spock typed back with shaking fingers. Cross my heart and hope to die. Don't you dare. Ooh, baby, get forceful with me. Do not sex me with Captain Pike right there. So lame, fine, TTYL. Spock lay down in his bed, abruptly exhausted, and wondered if everyone had known. If this was the reason for his parents' overreactions, for Cybok's vitriol, if this was why Pike had been accommodating of him, did everyone think they were... Well, they were young. When he had thought of Jim as Tahila, it had not been sexual in nature, but perhaps that was his own naivete. He would be fifteen in two months. This was nearly farcical. A knock at the door startled him from his thoughts. You know, his mother says, leaning against the doorframe of his bedroom. Before meeting your father, I had no idea Vulcans had moods. And then I had a husband and his son who perfected the ability to sulk, stoically. Cybuck would not know stoicism if it committed acts of violence upon his person, Spock said. That's true, but I wasn't talking about Cybok, Amanda said, smiling at him. You and I were getting along better this last year she said in neutral tones, and Spock could not point out that he had been very alone on Vulcan without her perceiving it as an insult. Yes, he agreed. It seems that Earth brings up points of insurmountable contention. Hmm, she sighed. I don't hate him, Spock. Spock did not scoff, but he could not control his right eyebrow, which lifted in pure skepticism. I don't, she insisted. But you... you don't make good decisions when he's involved. You're... Rash, and I worry for you, and sometimes that manifests as... She ran a hand over her head and sighed again. You're exceedingly bright, Spock. You're intelligent and mature for your age, but you're not an adult, not yet, and I want to make sure that you get there. This is not Romeo and Juliet, Spock said. Neither of us is. Oh, God, Amanda choked. Are you... are you in love with him? And Spock was grateful that she had asked that question in that way because he could say truthfully that he was not in love with Jim. He loved him, certainly, but further meditation was required to determine whether he was in love with him. No, he said flatly. Amanda looked at him, her gaze hard and direct. If you were, you could tell me. I could, he agreed, which was hardly the same as saying he would, and both of them knew it. The silence that descended was tense and uncomfortable, and Spock looked at the door longingly. You have to understand, Amanda said quietly. To us, he only needs you when there's a problem. I know that you feel this is reciprocal, and maybe it is in a way that you haven't allowed us to see, but to an outsider concerned for your well-being, this relationship is not healthy, which is, it's a big part of why you and I are going back to Vulcan. Cybok is staying? Spock asked. He had not known that, and felt a stab of jealousy. Cybok has been accepted into Starfleet Medical, and apparently it's a good starter career, she said, rolling her eyes at the terminology. 
Spock supposed that much seemed strange to humans, but he knew that to Vulcans there was time enough to have three careers, if not dozens more. Longevity affected one's perspective, and though Spock, in some ways, shared that perspective, he could not help but wonder if he would have such a long lifespan, if he would live even to seventy, or if, like in the shows his parents attempted to ban him from seeing, those bonds which were holding his atomic structure together would fail when he turned twenty. It would not be unreasonable to assume that, having been forced together in a way nature never intended, they would stay that way. He thought that perhaps that was one of the reasons he and Jim got along so well. Their timelines were questionable. Neither of Jim's parents had survived past the age of 35, and Spock was a science experiment whose entire life was built upon borrowed time. It was freeing, in a way. Liberating, perhaps, was the better word. I just worry that you're being taken advantage of, and that some day you're going to look back and realize that you haven't. She broke off, considering her words. I'm worried that you're going to realize you didn't do what you wanted because you were too busy living for someone else. I see, Spock said, but he did not. They worried Jim was subverting his agency, and so they undermined it themselves. It was all hardly fair. This was not them as children going across country. This was a legitimate interplanetarily recognized tragedy that Spock had been helping his best friend recover from. Under the circumstances, Spock was fairly certain that begrudging Jim any of Spock's time was petty at best. She sighed, scrubbing a hand over her face. You don't. No, Spock agreed. Or rather, I see your perspective, but I disagree with it. She looked down at her hands, a familiar gesture from fights with his father. It was a slap to see it directed at him. I need to finish packing, he said, and she stood up nodding. The car is picking us up at five, she said, and shut the door behind her. I just compared us with Romeo and Juliet to my mother. Spock, I can honestly say if Tarsus didn't kill me, we're gonna fucking live forever. Unless I kill you for lack of punctuation. You know it gets you hot.